All right, I grew up uh, and I had a poster on my wall as a kid. And this poster was a picture of a guy named Lyle Alzado when he was on steroids and when he played for the Raiders. And uh, it was a poster after a Super Bowl and he was standing with his, with his jersey kind of torn and blood places and face a mess and his beard and his buff muscles. And he's standing with one foot on top of a Washington Redskin whom they had just defeated in the Super Bowl. And he's holding the Redskins helmet above his head like this. And it's just this image of dominance and humiliation of his enemy. And uh, I apparently loved it as a kid and put it up in my, in my room next to Bo Jackson. And so uh, it's a reminder to me that we have in our culture this, we elevate victory, we elevate heroes, we elevate this sense of dominating and being above and getting back at an enemy and, and overachieving above an enemy. And, and that's just kind of the culture that we live in. I grew up also with uh, this, this kind of hero, that's He-Man, for those of you uh, who weren't sure. He would hold a sword and be like, by the power of Skull, And then he would become this buff guy with, with funny hair. And then, you know, more recently, there's this guy, Brad Pitt as Achilles. And he is a good-looking man. And so the women are like, hero. And, and, he, and he kind of personifies what we look for in our culture as strong and skilled and good-looking and, and just crushing an enemy. And let me see if this takes you back to another time and place. The greatest American hero. This guy was like a regular goob of a guy, and, and then some alien drops off a, a costume, and he puts on this costume, and it makes him able to fly. And so he flies around awkwardly, not very good at it, bumping into stuff and messing stuff up and being like this terrible, awkward hero. Uh, but it was a funny show. And, and, and um, our American culture loves our heroes, and we kind of like to identify as, you know, we're not a perfect hero, but, but I wish that I could fly right? Or we at least wish that we could just have the victory, that we could have the W, that we could have the wins, that we could overcome our enemy. And when we do, we will put our foot on him and stand over him like this picture because he deserved it and he antagonized me and I finish on top. That's what we do. We win. And it's just normal in our culture. That's what we expect because no one wants to be the one getting walked on. No one wants to be the one losing. No one wants to be the weaker, right? There's this, uh, there's this trucker in Nebraska some years back, and he had been driving all day, and he was going to sleep for the night, so he pulls into this diner, and he's going to have some dinner. He orders himself a burger and some french fries and a Coke. He's sitting down by himself. There's almost no one else in the diner, and he sits there, and, uh, and he's minding his own business, and then he hears the noise of some Harleys coming in, and three these, like, just scary-looking biker guys get off their Harleys, and they come in to the diner, and they start barking orders, and they acting like they own the place. They know a guy in the back cooking, and so they're shouting at him, bring us the usual, get whatever. And then one of them wants to pick a fight with this trucker sitting by himself eating his burger and fries. And for whatever reason, he goes up, and he just starts punking them. And he takes his burger, and he takes a bite of it, and he throws it at him. And he turns his fries over, and he spills his drink. And he just starts calling them names and asking them why he doesn't want to fight back. The guy finally sees where this is going. It's going nowhere good. And he stands up. He walks to the cashier. He pays for his bill, and he leaves. A few minutes later, the waitress comes out 
The three biker guys are at their table, and she is bringing them their order. And, and one of the guys who's trying to flirt with her, he says, could you believe that idiot? Not much of a man, was he? And she goes, oh, I don't know about that, but he's definitely not much of a trucker. Pulling out of the parking lot just now, he ran over three bikes. <laughs> Which is what we want to happen, right? We want him to win. We want him to have the last word. We want him to just run over the Harleys so that those guys are like, ah, ah, and we can't even chase after you. Because we have this sense that heroic is to stand above, to win, to have victory, to overcome an enemy, to make them feel smaller, to embarrass them if they tried to come at me. And some of us, because of that, because that's a culture that we live in, we fake it. We want, it, we want our chest to be big. We try to pretend that we make more money than we actually do. We try to pretend we've had cooler experiences than we actually have. And we fake it in some ways. I remember my dad had a tool belt that he didn't use because he was the second generation. I'm the third of men that don't know how to fix stuff. And so, but he had a tool belt nonetheless, and it had all the appropriate things and all the appropriate parts of it, but it just kind of hung in the garage. I caught him one time taking some dirt and some oil and smearing it on the belt just so it looked used that he knew how to actually do stuff. I don't pretend. I just say I can't fix things. I don't even have a tool belt because I'm not going to pretend that I do. I have a cell phone. I call Dave, and, and that works out better. But we do. We feel this sense of having to show and put up a front of some kind. But the fact is it's just not heroic Anyway, and we have these misconceptions in our culture about what heroes really look like and what it means to be a hero. Fighting over a hamburger or having someone insult you and so you want to punch them, that's not heroic. Standing over your enemy or spitting on them is not heroic. That's normal. That's what's expected in our culture. It's unimpressive. Anyone can make someone who's weaker than them feel weak. Anyone can find someone, ladies, who is less pretty than you. Anyone can find someone who has less money than you. Anyone can find someone who is less successful. And anyone can make themselves feel better by standing over somebody else. And that's not heroic. That's called being a bully. In Jesus' ways were different than the world's ways. When he stepped on this earth, when he walked around on the dirt of this earth, he was the things that he said, the way that he lived, the things that he talked about were shocking even to his followers. They thought this is so contradictory to what we know and what we expect in our culture and how every man is trying to be and what they're trying to achieve. Your, 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 your ways, your philosophy is kind of flying in the face of what we thought that we know. In that culture... It was all about an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. If you poke out my eye, you're losing yours. If you bust my tooth, I'm going to bust your tooth. If you steal my thing, I'm going to steal your thing back. And that was the morally acceptable code in that day. That is just the way they did life. Jesus, on the other hand, offers a different idea. He says this, due to others as you would have them do to you. 
We refer to that as the golden rule. You've heard it before. This is where it comes from. Do to others as you would have them do to you. Notice what it does not say. It does not say, do to others as they have done to you. It does not say, do to others what they deserve to get. It does not say, when in Rome, live like a Roman. It does not say, if you can't beat them, join them. Jesus was challenging the very way of life and the interactions of the people that followed him. And it was a big deal. And here he goes, chapter 6 of Luke, verse 27, teaching from the famous Sermon on the Mount, which has been called the best sermon in history. We talked about it the last couple of weeks. If you've missed, you can listen to the podcast. Here he launches in and he takes it to another level. But you who are listening, he says, I've challenged you with some things already, but you who are still listening, I say this, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. And the people are like, what? This does not compute. How could you, why would we, even the good religious people, this is not the way that they wanted to live. They had been taught in their law, in their way of doing life, love God, number one, love your neighbor, number two. And that was hard enough because the selfishness that is in us, we just want to look out for number one, right? And so God is saying, no, I want you to love me first and then love your neighbor. And they can't even get that right. And then Jesus ups the ante and says, not just your neighbor, your flat out enemy. Love your enemy. Some of you are thinking to yourselves, I don't have an enemy. I live a very tame, safe life. I do not rock the boat. I sell my product. I come home. I pull into the garage. I close the door before I even get out to avoid any conflict. I go inside. I watch my TV. I have issues with people on TV, but not with real people. I don't have enemies. Jesus is not just talking about terrorists and burglars and Bruins. He's talking... <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I couldn't help myself. Lots of Bruins in the second service. Uh, that, that, uh, he's talking about people. He's talking about people who agitate you, which is now me for a few of you. <clears throat> he's talking about people who irritate you. He's talking about people who you resent. He's talking about people who, when you see them at the grocery store, you go down a different aisle to try to avoid them. He's talking about people who you secretly hope get what they deserve because they had it coming. Those are the people he's talking about. And he would say, those are the enemies. Those are the ones that I am challenging you to love. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. We talk a lot in this church about our words having a lot of significance. One of my slogans is words create worlds, that God spoke creation into being, and he invites us to participate with him in how we use our words, speaking things into being. Dads, when you speak over your children, you're either speaking life or you're speaking death. You can speak 
security, hope, future into your kids. And so I know, I know that all of us in one way or another have had people in our lives who have spoken curses over us, who have said things like, you'll never amount to anything, or I wish you were more like, or you're never going to be successful, or you just can't get this right. And they've spoken curses over you. And when you hear this, bless those who have cursed me, how can I, how can I, pray for that person? How could I want good for that person? How could I ask God to bless that person when they spoke to me that way? He's saying, I know, but that's what I'm asking because anyone can hate someone who's hated on them. That doesn't take any kind of love. I'm inviting you to another way. And why is this so important? We have to talk about that because it's too difficult for you just to do it because the Bible said so. It's significant for a reason. Jesus wants you to get this. The reality is that forgiveness actually sets you free. Forgiveness sets you free. When you're holding on to resentment and bitterness and unforgiveness... It's like a cancer inside of you that's sucking your life away. It's infecting the rest of your life with this kind of hatred and darkness. It's not healthy for you. Not only does Jesus tell you to love your enemies, to put his love on display, but it's for you, caring for yourself, loving yourself. Because when you hold on to those things, when you keep them inside, you're giving this person real estate in your brain you're, you're staying in this position of victim saying that they, they did this thing to me and I'm going to get them back and I just won't let this go. And you're just hurting yourself. So learning to love our enemies, we have to choose to forgive and keep forgiving. Choose to forgive and then keep forgiving because you're here this morning and you will say, yes, yes, yes. Okay, I get it, God. I will forgive this person. I, will, I, I even pray that you will bless this person, God. But you're going to get another email from that person, and you're going to have to choose again to forgive. Or their name is going to come up again this week, and you're going to have those emotions that come, and you're going to have to choose to forgive again. And as long as those things come up, you're going to have to choose I forgive. I bless. I release that offense. I'm not going to hold it against that person because I want to put love on display and because I want to be free. Jesus goes on in verse 29. If someone slaps you on one cheek, turn to them the other also. Now, this probably doesn't mean what you think it means. In that day, If you were standing and facing somebody like this and they were to slap you on the cheek, what they would use is their left hand and they would use the back of their left hand. They would use their left hand because their right hand could not be used for any kind of unclean activity. And this, slapping someone else across the face, would be considered an unclean activity. In that culture, for their religious ways that they did things, you didn't want to use your right hand because you could not be unclean. Then you have to go through all these kind of ceremonial cleansing things. It was a big to-do. And so they would not use their right hand. They would use the back of their left hand as a sign of rejection. 
This meant rejection. That I am saying that I am above you and that you are not welcome here anymore. For instance, your behavior is so bad, I am rejecting you and banishing you from the synagogue, from the Jewish church in that time. You cannot come back here. You are not welcome here. The same thing a father might do to a child if they grossly humiliated them in some way. Back of the hand, I am rejecting you. You are not welcome here. Your behavior is less than what's acceptable. You do not belong. So when Jesus says, don't fight back, instead, turn the other cheek. He's putting the other person in a very interesting predicament. Because when this person has been hit like this, on this face, this side of the face, and then they turn their face, you have to choose. Am I going to hit him with this hand and then have to go through all this ceremonial cleansing thing? Or am I going to open up my palm and smack him like this? But by opening up my palm in this day, what I am saying is you and I are equals. We're on the same level. We're just, this is just a normal fight. Back of the hand, rejection, you are less than. Open part of the palm is a normal scuffle between people. Jesus is not saying be weak and passive. He's saying don't fight back, but the whole reason is know who you are. This person might look down on you. This person might judge you. This person might not get it, and you don't have to prove it to them. But by turning your cheek, you give a moment's pause, and in the midst of this rejection, you can reaffirm for yourself who you are. Remember who you are. Use rejection as a way to reaffirm your identity. Look at Galatians 3, 26. It says, For you are all children of God through faith in Jesus Christ. That when you put your faith in Jesus, when you say simply, I believe that you are the Son of God who died for me and forgives my sins, You're putting your faith in Jesus. You are a child of the king. You are a child of the God of the universe. What can anyone else do? Really? What kind of rejection really can come against you? It's silliness. You're a child of the king. Fathers, your your kids have your physical DNA. You have the spiritual DNA of your God. That is who you are. You were created in his image. Later, Jesus would say to his disciples in John 15, I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know what his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends. For everything I learned from my father, I have made known to you. God calls you friend. And he calls you his child. What's rejection? In the face of rejection, you can choose to reaffirm your identity and not to have to fight for it. There's a problem with this, though, because 
when we're rejected, it usually triggers in us some kind of rejection from our childhood, right? Something that's unresolved, something that happened to us a long time ago, and it triggers something because we were kids there, and in that way, we were never really able to grow up. And so what tends to happen because of our unhealth, because we still hold on to these things, we tend to pass on the pain. So if we're rejected, our tendency as humans is to then reject somebody else. If we are hurt, we try to overcome that by hurting someone else. And dads, this is a simple way that you can be a hero. Because the pain can stop with you. I remember a good friend of mine was telling me a story about when she was a kid and she went into the living room where her dad was sitting and reading the paper and she said, dad, dad, let's have a, let's, let's do a hide and seek, a game of hide and seek. And he was like, oh yeah, okay, sure. You know, you gotta come and find me, daddy. You gotta come and find me. Yeah, I'll come and find you. And she goes off into the other room and she finds this great, this great hiding spot and she, and she tucks herself behind this thing and it's a really good spot and she's waiting there for several minutes. He doesn't find her. So she thinks, maybe I'm hiding too good. And so she makes some noises. <laughs> you know, a little cough, a little, whatever. Nothing. And so she thinks, well, maybe, maybe this is just way too good of a hiding spot. And so she kind of sneaks her booty out from behind the thing and like puts her leg out and kind of shows, I'm right here. I'm right here. I'm hiding right here. Still nothing. So she gets up. She walks around the corner she goes back into the living room and she sees her dad just sitting in the same seat reading his newspaper. Friends, that picture was a microcosm of her whole life. That he was present but not. All kinds of rejection and curses spoken over to her and she has had to choose. Will I forgive? Will I love? Will I bless even though he's cursed? Or will I continue to pass that pain on. Replace the rejection with the truth of how God sees you. And you can break the cycle. Jesus continues, if someone takes your coat, do not withhold your shirt from them Give to everyone who asks you, and if anyone takes what belongs to you, do not demand it back. When he says do not demand it back, this meant, this meant something that might be unexpected. So oftentimes, these kind of burglarizing activities, when someone's stealing from someone else, would happen along a road. Roads were dangerous places. The famous story of the Good Samaritan where the guy is just pummeled on the road and left for dead, that kind of stuff happened pretty frequently because there was a long stretch of dirt and nothingness from village to village, city to city. And so these roads were dangerous places. And so when someone's walking along a road, they have to be on their guard. And if someone jumps out and takes their coat, what Jesus is saying is don't fight back for it. If you fight back, it might escalate the matter and make it worse. Plus, it's just a coat. Maybe the coat means too much to you. But when he says, and don't demand it back, he's saying, don't demand it back from this person who's stealing your coat, but also don't demand it of someone else that you're going to meet along the road. And here's why that's important. Because when you are along this road and you're not wearing your coat, it's cold, but it's also a sign of weakness. 
So you're going to be vulnerable to further attack because you already look weak. So your natural desire would be to punk someone else that you're stronger than and take their coat. It's more comfortable. It's more self-respecting. And you are, you know, protecting yourself against more burglarization, more theft, more whatever. So Jesus is saying, in other words, don't pass on the offense. Instead, embrace vulnerability while protecting others. You be vulnerable. Don't make others vulnerable for your own security. A buddy of mine gave me an interesting picture of this. When we were in college, we went, uh, it was in December, and we went to Skid Row, and we were handing out blankets to homeless people on Skid Row. And it was a group of us, and we pulled up in a couple of cars, and we kind of divided and conquered. We each had a stack of blankets. Here we go. We're on our way, and we're going to meet back here at the cars uh, in 45 minutes. So like, here's the time. We're com- coming back. So the rest of us, there's maybe about 10 of us, nine of us, Rally back, we're at the cars, but no one knows where Chris is. Chris, we see him after a couple more minutes coming in the distance. You just see his pearly white teeth and he's smiling. And then he gets a little bit closer and you realize he's practically naked. He's only wearing pants. Chris gets up here and you're like, okay, Chris, where are your clothes? Oh, I gave them away. What? Yeah, I gave them away. I ran, out of, I ran out of blankets. I handed out all my blankets. And then the next guy that I came to, he got really mad at me. And he got aggressive with me. And he said, you ran out of blankets? Give me your coat then. And at first I was taken back, like, demand my coat? Like, come on, I'm out here doing good. You're going to try and punk me for my coat? But then I looked at him and I had compassion on him. And I realized that he needed it more than I did. So I took off my coat and I gave it to the man. And then I went to the next person. And he only had one shirt to his name. And so I took off my shirt and I gave him my shirt. Then I went to another person who was wearing just a t-shirt and it was all torn. And I had an undershirt on, so I took off my undershirt and I gave it to him. And then the next person I saw didn't even have shoes. So I took off my shoes and I gave this guy my shoes. And then I saw another person without shoes. I didn't have shoes anymore, but I gave him my socks. And so here I am just in my pants because I thought that would have been inappropriate. (laughs) Here's an interesting picture that Jesus gives us from Philippians 2. The Bible says, In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset that Jesus did, who being in very nature God himself, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage, but rather he made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient even to death, death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place. We'll stop there. Therefore, Because the God of the universe chose to humble himself to the degree that he put on skin and came to the earth he created. And not only that, he allowed his creation to curse him, spit at him, betray him, beat him, and ultimately kill him. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place. 
When Jesus says, love your enemy, when Jesus says, turn the other cheek, when Jesus says, don't demand it back for yourself, he's not saying be weak and passive. He's saying there's a bigger story. There's more to this life. I'm doing something bigger here. And when you serve God and you choose humility, you choose to forgive, you choose not to fight back, you choose to protect others, you're being like God. You're putting on display the way of Jesus. And you're saying, the pain stops with me. I'm going to release this offense. I'm going to forgive. I'm going to bless instead of curse. I'm going to love my enemies. And I'm going to kill. I'm going to, I'm going to end this cycle of pain and rejection. Dads, you are already a hero. You are already a hero. Because you were created in God's image. You are a child of God. God calls you friend. He's given you kids that just look up to you for just because you're you. I think of my dad. He's not famous. He's not wealthy. He's not perfect. But he loves me. He believes in me. And he's my hero. There is nothing else that you have to do, achieve, or whatever, but you can choose this way of love. It's countercultural. It's strange in the world, but it's the way of Jesus. And for all of us, we finish where we started. Luke 6, 31. Do to others as you would have them do to you. In other words, Jesus' invitation is, you initiate. You lead the way. You love your enemies. You choose love, regardless of what the other person chooses. You choose care, even when you're not cared for. You choose honor, even when you've been rejected. You choose blessing, even when you've been cursed. You choose love, and we collectively will choose love, and we will change the world around us as a result. Jesus' invitation is to a better way. It's not normal, it's not easy, but it's better. Love God, love your neighbor, oh, and love even your enemy. That, friends, is heroic. Dads, would you just stand with me so I can pray over you as we finish off this service? Dads or future dads, would you just stand? Let me pray. God, you put something in us, in all of us, but us especially as men that stand before you today, that desires to be heroic. Please give us the strength to love those who don't treat us right. Give us the capacity to truly forgive even when they don't deserve it. Give us the courage to be heroic your way with love. I pray your blessing over the fathers in this room 
those who will be fathers. I pray that you comfort those who are missing their fathers today. And lastly, God, we are grateful to you, our heavenly Father, the giver of every good gift. We love you. Amen. The rest of you, will you stand?